0: Welcome to another episode of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Caleb Walgren, also known as the Luca Lover, and I am joined by my co hosts, <laughs> Sean Morgan and Travis Conaway.
1: Uh, hey, who's, that, who's that last guy? I don't know. I heard he's a loser. Uh, it makes sense. He's a Vikings fan, so. Wow. <laughs> and it so begins so
2: fast.
0: Missed you guys too. Welcome back to the podcast, Travis. Uh, Travis was was losing the podcast battle to COVID nineteen for the last <laughs> five months. <laughs> Not really he he didn't have it, but at the same time, he wasn't here. So where could he have been? So uh, having a baby. You sure where you, can uh, he be? Lots of things. I mean, you didn't have the baby. I.
2: You are correct. I didn't have anything. My super strong wife did.
1: Is she holding you hostage? Do we need to come rescue you?
2: I'll blink twice.
0: <laughs> That's great, considering... You I have don't me. have a camera. So, um, <laughs> Let's go ahead and just go through the rundown of what we're talking about on today's episode of the pod. Uh, we've got the headliner, of course. We're going to talk about Earl Thomas and his abrupt release from the baltimore ravens we've got fantastic (laughs) segments like 300 seconds of soccer uh maybe we'll hear about (laughs) messi again there uh this week because because it's soccer uh, he's been with barcelona since he was 13 and he doesn't want to play there anymore so i'm excited so that's the teaser for that section i don't know what else sean has planned for it but it's always always interesting uh then we have this day in sports history Uh, We've got a U.S. Open tennis preview. Uh, For those of you who like America's Brightest Orange, we do have another fantasy football team preview from all time. We're going to go through the Oklahoma State one. And Sean and I will give Travis a hard time about his picks, especially because he just returned. And then we're going to see how our game slash series of the week is doing and kind of update everyone on those Thunder Rocket games Um, that being said we're starting with the NFL Earl Thomas was released on Sunday and they said that it was for personal conduct that had adversely affected the team which basically means we're trying to get out of paying you your guaranteed money because we don't want to deal with this anymore And uh, the tipping point that brought it all to a head was, you know, him getting into a fight with another safety. Uh, I think it's interesting. I've read a lot of commentators' opinions about this the last few days, and they've said things like you don't normally hear about teammates, especially within the same position group, getting into a fight on the field. You know, maybe offense and defensive linemen maybe, you know, a running back and a linebacker, maybe a wide receiver and a corner. But two safeties that are supposed to be kind of doing a similar role. Uh, Very interesting. It probably also has brought a lot more attention to Chuck Clark, the safety he fought with. Uh, That being said, it seems really weird because it was only early in the 2019 offseason that the Ravens swooped in and – got Thomas when he was getting ready to sign with the chiefs. Uh, And that of course is after he had been injured the previous year. (laughs) Thomas has had a a really strange, probably last two years. Is there first, what do you think about the Ravens trying to cut him this way? Uh, I'm going to let Sean answer first. And the second part, well, we'll just do that part first about trying to cut him and get rid of his guarantees.
1: Good for them. Uh, I just want to go ahead and, and preface just by saying good for them. I think that in the modern NFL, when you have a player who has very disruptive conduct, both on and off the field, and you're trying to win a Super Bowl and you are a Super Bowl caliber team, that there needs to be a very, very hard line that is drawn in regards to, to individual conduct and team camaraderie. So again, congratulations to the Ravens on really coming out and saying, this is completely unacceptable. Uh, and it seems like Earl Thomas is, I'm not gonna say that he's okay with it, but I mean, it doesn't seem like he's he's fighting it too hard, uh, that he's aware that, hey, this is, this is a long time coming. Uh, he's made quite a few errors Uh, in his tenure with the Ravens, again, both on and off the field. So, you know, I do hope they're able to recoup whatever they need to recoup. And I pity any team that decides that they want to take a chance on him, lest they end up with another Antonio Brown situation, like it's seeming like Thomas is trending toward.
0: Uh, Travis, what do you think about the way they're releasing him?
1: Um, I, I have to completely
0: wholeheartedly
2: agree with, with Sean. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's obvious public issues that we all know about. Um, but at the same time, I want to know how much more behind the scenes there really was. I mean, not to be that guy and to bring up the super past, but we're talking about the Ravens who had a man who was literally in like charged with murder on their team. Killed a guy. Like, he yes. literally killed a guy, and they kept him on his team. Like, so I want to know what, uh, if maybe if it's more of a, the Ravens are finally getting kind of with the times, and, and, and like Sean said, accepting that this is, I mean, this is not acceptable, and he can't act like that, and you can't, I mean, you have to be a face of a franchise, and, and you represent it throughout the entire world. Um, or if there was more, even more than we know behind the scenes.
1: And and to, to kind of piggyback off of that too, is it's really telling how much the the team rallied around the decision and not the player. Absolutely. Because normally you see in these types of situations a couple of players coming out and being like, you know, like on social media or whatever, you know, whatever the the, the medium is, hey, we support this player and this decision you know, in just even like a, a very passive neutral way, not one that's them taking a really, really big stand just, you know, we're we're here for you. The Ravens, not just as an organization but as a team, want him gone.
0: Yeah. So in general, I think the biggest red flag came before he ever was there. I don't know how much you guys remember, but when he had been taken off the cart in seattle he (laughs) he went ahead and you know flipped the bird up at the sideline and i'm like at some point it's those are your teammates and your coaches and while personally you can be upset that you didn't get the extension that you always wanted that's that's the gm like that's that's not your teammates It's not the you know the fans that saw that it, it it just kind of put a bitter taste in my mouth and i feel like it was the beginning of the unraveling of what has been earl thomas that being said i mean he did have 10 million guaranteed this year he probably i think that you know he's got another chance uh he hasn't burned as many bridges as ab has i mean even ab got a, a one game with uh, the patriots last year um who do you see making a move to get him? I'm going to let Travis go first, and then Sean, and then I'll close that up.
2: Man, when we, when we first started talking about this being the headliner, I kind of, that was like the first thought that came to mind, of who's going to be willing to take the risk for him. And I, I don't know if maybe because of AB, I, I have a hard time finding somebody that's willing to take that risk. Like, don't get me wrong, dude is an awesome – football player if you just take him at pure stats and statistical level but so many teams have seen what that style of player can turn into you know the the Antonio Browns and things like that does anybody want that um is is his talent worthy of being okay with that and and I just I couldn't think of a team that would really want that except for maybe Dallas Um, Just because it seems to be like Dallas has a little bit more leniency in that, in that sense. But I, I, I honestly have no idea where he would end up.
1: So, so Dallas does seem like not necessarily a logical destination, but something that, you know, as Travis alluded to, they've made their choices in regards to personnel independent of on and off the field. You know, behavior so I can see that I can see the Browns potentially going that because they're they're kind of the same way in that regard and they are a little bit more desperate uh, I think one of the things that hasn't really been talked about too much is the 49ers going after him um, and you know the whole let's let's reunite the uh, the the good old the good old Seahawks secondary. Uh, So, I mean, and you got to look at how badly the 49ers were burnt, like from a secondary standpoint, uh, not too long ago. So I can see that, but in in all honesty, he's, you know, he's in his thirties now. Uh, Does a team really decide, you know what? I want to put forth a lot of, a lot of my, uh, a lot of our money a player that may not necessarily have it as much anymore. And well, we'll see. What do you think, Caleb?
0: So I definitely think the Browns are in the running, especially with the their safety. Grant Delpit went down with a ACL tear. I believe it was yesterday in practice, and they've already put him on injured reserve. Yeah. So I kind of look at that one and go, uh, circle Browns. You know, team that already – went after who some people would call a head case in Odell Beckham Jr. They're kind of willing to take some of those personnel risks. And let's face it, they were trying to get to the playoffs this year in a division where you already have the team that was the number one seed last year and you have the team that arguably had one of the best defenses last year in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that being said, one team that I kind of am curious about is a team called the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that in general, they went after Brady. They've signed Gronk. Right now it says that their starting free safety is Jordan Whitehead. I don't know who that is. If I don't know who you are, that's not a good sign for who you are in the National Football League.
1: Come on, it's Jordan Whitehead, man.
0: Shout out Winfield to Jordan
1: Whitehead too. listening to our podcast. Uh, strong safety
0: is Antoine <laughs> Winfield Jr., which is a young rookie. But yeah. I, I definitely think fit, sees desperation. It has to be somewhere. Uh, those are just some of the options that I think fit. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Sean so that he can introduce... Uh, and go through 300 seconds of soccer.
1: Oh, boy. I was actually, while you were talking, looking up Jordan Whitehead on Twitter, I am totally sharing a link to our podcast when it goes up, just to let him know that we had a uh, we, we had a name drop for him, if he wants to listen. Hey,
2: I did the same thing when Brandon Whedon followed our podcast. So I have no shame.
1: So we'll see if we get a new follower. Uh, anyway, <laughs> time for the best segment of the show. Let's go ahead and get down to business minus the Huns. Uh, So the big story this past week was the Champions League final between Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain. Now, as a neutral and a football fan, I honestly enjoyed the match. Now, both sides came out incredibly cagey. They didn't really want to give the other side any early allowances. And both clubs struggled to bury their early chances. But especially on the PSG side, Neymar and Mbappe had some very, very rough misses. Uh, Looking back on the tournament overall, you honestly have to say that Neymar disappointed relative to his potential. Now, Bayern's Kingsley Coman had the winner at the 59-minute mark, and the Bundesliga champions completed their treble, taking the 1-0 win to hoist the trophy for a sixth time and the first time since the 2012-2013 season. Now, Bayern are the first team in the history of Champions League and the European Cup overall to win every single game en route to winning the competition. Now, Some of that obviously has to do with COVID-19 and how rusty some of the clubs are coming back, as well as the formatting, not having the the two legs in the quarters and semis. And honestly, considering their sloppy start to the year and their amazing finish, um, Bayern Munich are definitely the, truly the champions of Europe. Uh, it was an amazing comeback to the end of their season. And I look forward to see how they do heading into the next year. Now, one of the sides that Bayern dominated in route to their win was Barcelona, which kickstarted a whole lot of messy drama. <laughs> Get it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Now, We talked about this on a prior 300 Seconds episode, but uh, some updated news I thought I'd go ahead and share my thoughts on. Now, as of our recording day today, the Barcelona board responded to Messi's request to cancel the remaining portion of his contract with an emergency meeting and the early talks or a presumed firing of Barcelona president, Josep Bartomo, which has become a kind of a will he, won't he resign, get fired or deal with news coming out of his camp, news coming out of the Barcelona camp. Uh, it's been a mess. If Messi leaves, Catalonia is probably going to be a war zone. Um, but honestly, where does Messi go? I know I talked about that before. Um, and I shared the only destinations that make sense to me are Man City and PSG. Juventus could be an outside potential. Um, I mean, the money's all in the Premier League. And, you know, that's really, if he's going to go anywhere that isn't like the retirement league of MLS um, or back home to Argentina... You know, those those really seems like the only destinations for me. Now, uh, I still think that with Bartomo potentially leaving, Messi stays. And I think this was just a coup attempt from him to get Bartomo out. So I think that he will still be playing for Barcelona in La Liga next season. But we'll see what happens within the week. Now, another interesting story. That I think some of you guys have, may have heard about or read about is Manchester United's Harry Maguire finding himself imprisoned in Greece for assault, resisting arrest, and repeated attempts of bribery. He was released from custody over the weekend and, as of t- the recording day today, uh, received a suspended sentence of 21 months and 10 days. Now, obviously, his legal Team's appealing the verdict. Uh, he was arrested with his brother and friend in a bar ball on Mykonos. And, you know, they, this early report saying that his sister was, was stabbed, it, it's, just, it's just an entire mess. But according to the witness reports, Maguire told the police, quote, do you know who I am? I am the captain of Manchester United. I am very rich. I can give you money. I'll pay you. Please let us go. <laughs> God, he looks like a refrigerator. Uh, anyway, one of the big questions on a lot of fans' minds is how is this going to impact the player from both the club and country standpoint? As English manager Gary Southgate has already pulled Maguire from the call-up squad for the Nations League matches for England against Iceland and Denmark next month. So there's way more to come to this, I'm sure, and I'll talk about it again uh, here when more news comes up. Finally, everybody's favorite preseason Premier League trophy is on the line, as Arsenal and Liverpool will meet on the 29th for the FA Community Shield, with the former having won the FA Cup earlier this month and the latter having won the Premier League this past season. Now, for those of you who don't know, This is typically held at Wembley with not a whole lot on the line. And most of the revenue from this match is doled out to various charities and all of the 124 clubs who competed in the FA Cup from the first round onwards that prior season. Now that said, it is 100% a trophy if you win it and just a glorified friendly if you lose. So expect fans to be somewhat loosely invested in the result. The Reds have had more of a break than the Gunners and are the odds on favorite to take the shield back to Merseyside but Arsenal have had a bit more of a bite this past month, so we will see how things go. I'm predicting a 2-1 loss for my club, but honestly, who cares? It's a Mickey Mouse Cup anyway. I don't want it. Uh, And that's it for 300 seconds. No agenda for next week, so we'll see what big soccer news happens in the meantime. You know, you can listen to Gunners and Blues tomorrow if you would like to hear a bit of a deeper dive into the beautiful game, but that, for me, is 300 seconds of soccer.
0: Thanks, Sean. All right, guys, we'll be right back after a quick break here with us here at Brody Sports Talk. Welcome back, and thanks for staying with us here at Brody Sports Talk. All right, and now we're going to move over to the next segment, and that is this day in sports history. We are recording this on August 26th is the day that this is going to be released, and that is the day of the first color telecast of a tennis match, uh, which would be of the Davis Cup between USA and Australia. It was done at Forest Hills, New York. I don't know any of the players that were involved in this contest because I did pull it up. Uh, between the three days that they played, the Australians beat us in all five matches. <laughs> so while tennis started at that point on, you know, for color TV in 1955, which is pretty impressive when you think about it. It was not a, a great start for the Americans. Um, Sean, Travis, did you guys have anything you wanted to add to that small segment there?
1: I'm just curious as to why tennis ended up being the first sport. To, yeah, to that, that
0: was kind of my I thought mean, process. I mean, oh, I don't know if it is. It was just the first color telecast of a tennis match ah okay i thought it, i read it as it no, was no, the no. first ever
1: telecast. It, it was it was actually the first time a sport was broadcast in color oh, television really yeah so it's just interesting right because you would think that you know considering its long history that baseball probably would have been the one to to make that stride but yeah
0: Look at Sean thinking baseball might do something innovative and new. I was just about <laughs> to say,
2: as a diehard baseball fan, what am, well, I you're totally right. What,
1: understand why not? What am I thinking? That is probably the dumbest thing that I think I have said all day. Wow. Foot in also, mouth. also,
0: I, I just have to say this. I've, I've said it to my son when we're listening to sports radio. Baseball is fantastic on the radio. Baseball and radio go together perfectly. You yep. have, oh, here's the pitch, and it's a str- it's on the inside corner of the plate. First, r- like there's almost there's so little action that it's so easy to talk about it. It's and, easy to visualize, and it's just not good on television. No. Like it, it, it is not, and it's somewhat sad. Uh, I think in general, I wish that. I like baseball a little bit more than I do, but I mainly bring, blame the steroid era for ruining baseball forever for me. So, Way to bring that segment down, Caleb.
1: <laughs> Why wow, you got to do that? You just completely killed all the momentum we had from 300 seconds of soccer. I know. You've, you've ruined it. Well, right. let's,
0: let's talk about happier times in tennis. So uh, the 2020 US Open is going to start this coming week uh, on August 31st on Monday. Uh, they are doing the draw on Thursday so we do not have that available for us at this time. So if we say that we think something may happen as a semifinal or a quarterfinal we're just kind of randomly guessing and hoping for the best. Uh, that being said of course with any event that is happening in the is this would We call it the COVID-19 era of sports, I, pandemic, whatever we Hashtag want to call COVID it. COVID era. Uh, so several notable names will not be competing. Uh, we'll go ahead and start uh, talking about it on the men's side of tennis. Uh, of course, we're going to be missing the, the great Swiss, Roger Federer, uh, arguably the goat of tennis right there. Uh, we're going to miss the king of clay, Rafael Nadal. And some of the other names that you may not be as familiar with, but definitely still would have been able to put up a fight. Uh, so Fabio Fognini, Nick Kurgios has been doing better lately. Gail Monfils, uh, Joe Willy Zonga, and uh, Stan Walrinka were all opting out before the tournament. That being said, and I want to just start by asking you guys this. Uh, so who do you think would be... Be the biggest threat to Novak Djokovic, and are you taking Djokovic or the field?
1: Who wants to go wanna, first? Do you want to take this one first? Or do you want me to? Uh,
0: you go ahead. Uh, okay. The the
2: first question kind of throw me off. I I I don't know who would give him a shot.
1: <laughs> so, um, Medvedev obviously, I think, is probably looking to be the biggest threat um, aside from Dominic Thiem. I mean. Um, Dominic's been to three Grand Slam finals, no trophies. Uh, I think he's going to be a contender. It's going to be tough, right? Because Djokovic is coming in here as the overwhelming favorite. And you would have to say that even if Nadal, Federer, Gaël Monfils, pretty much any of the, the players who have decided to, to opt out. And by the way, good on them for opting out, by the way. I, I think that uh, especially considering how international tennis is and how big travel is the the players who have tried to push for i think some very unrealistic settings um, playing some of these smaller tournaments that really aren't equipped for it so good on on the players that have decided that their health and the health of the people around them are more important than uh going out and you know making a mistake I don't like Djokovic. I mean, I will come right out and say that I have never been a fan of Novak Djokovic um, as a player and as a person. And so the, the fact that he was one of the top players who decided to not only push for something like this, but almost make a statement about how little he th- thinks of the risk of COVID-19 just speaks volumes about who he is as a person. So I just felt like I needed to go on that little mini rant. Uh, but honestly, I think that um, that Medvedev is probably going to be the biggest challenger to Djokovic for this particular event.
2: I mean, I who do, uh, I'm sorry, uh, who was the person that you said was going to give him the biggest challenge? Daniil Medvedev.
1: Daniel Medvedev, okay. yeah, Danil yeah, Medvedev.
2: So um, honestly, like when it comes to names, I'm horrible at them, so I'm going to just kind of avoid butchering too many names um the one why can't I think of his name uh Stefanos um he's beaten him what, two or three times already so I think if it comes down to a match between those two I think he has a solid chance uh Dominic Thiem is actually probably my number one person to mm-hmm. to threaten him um but to be completely honest I I think this is his his open to
1: lose Men's tennis, and really, I think, more so than the women's side of the game, is all about consistency. It's all yep. about going through and carrying the momentum. Uh, uh, you know, because, I mean, you go through the different seasons. Um, you know, your, your, your clay court season, your, you know, your grass season, your hard court season. And really, you know, the, the hard court season toward the, toward the end of the year is, is one that I think you have to be carrying a lot of momentum throughout the year to do well even if it's a preferred surface for you, you really have to have, I mean, cause tennis is such an individualized sport. There's a lot of uh, a mental aspect that comes with it. And, you know, that consistency in performing, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out, especially as you get to the quarters, as you get to the semis, cause there's always in men's tennis, you know, the, the one or two players that, that have a good year or two. Mm-hmm you know, maybe even three if you're lucky. And then either an injury catches up with them or they just, you know, maybe they, get, they start getting ranked pretty high and then, you know, they go into a tournament, they go to a big, you know, Grand Slam, they go out in the second round, they go out in the third round. And you're just like, ooh, were they actually as good as their performance the, the prior year? And, you know, Djokovic has been a model of consistency, same as Nadal and Federer. And, you know, you've seen injuries take out players like Andy Murray, and, um, and Del Potro, uh, who's, who was big and then kind of like fell off. And yep. Vavrinka is kind of the same way. So, I, I, again, I, I think this is Djokovic's to lose. What, what do you yeah. think, Caleb?
0: I, I do think in general, uh, I tend to agree with, with Sean a lot on this. Medvedev is, is who I would say is probably the most likely to challenge him. He was in the final at the U.S. Open last year against Nadal, lost in five sets. Clearly, he was playing well then, and it's not like there's been a ton of tennis since then. But I would imagine that back where he was in Russia, that he was still playing. I mean, Russians don't typically back down on anything like that. And I'm sure that his training is in very good shape. That being said... I don't think that you can sit here and go, "Oh yeah, I'm going to take any of these guys over Djokovic." I mean, he's yeah. he's a three-time winner. We're we're talking about people who have made Grand Slam finals a few times. I mean, that's the only one Medvedev has. I mean, Theme has uh, three finals, three appearances, but when we're talking about finals appearances versus, I mean, Djokovic just has done it too many times for me to sit here and go mm, i i can't i can't take away from him so so
2: I, I did some research real quick while we were kind of discussing it between the three that we've brought up uh dominic theme uh Medvedev, and i'm not even going to try I'm trying to pronounce his last name stefano stetsipas was- yeah that one Um, he has a combined record of 14 wins and eight losses against just those three. Um, But Dominic seems beat him uh, two out of the last three encounters. Um, Obviously, like Sean said, different things come into play when it comes to that, you know, surface area or surface um, makeup and, 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 you know, what have you. Um, But that's, that's hard to ignore. You know, two out of three, whether it's on different surfaces or not, is still is something to look at. So I think if if there is going to be anyone that challenges challenges him, it's going to be one of those three.
1: Djokovic is one of the best hardcourt players of all time. I agree. And I know I know the U.S. Open surface is a little bit different than the Australian. Um, it is slightly, like just slightly slower, I believe. And you know he hasn't had as much success there as he has had in the Australian, but. You look at the field, he is above and beyond the most talented player that's going to be out there. The player that's done it the the best for the longest and has shown that he doesn't really succumb to the pressure of a quarter of a semifinal against a lower tier player. And yeah, I, I think I think we've 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 ironed that out enough. It's Djokovic just to lose. Yeah, I I still
2: agree. Um, I just thought the the stats were definitely interesting. I didn't even realize um, that the record was so – as close as it was, to be honest. Like, I I expected it to be, you know, more lopsided. Yeah, like 20 to –
1: too. I mean, Djokovic is 33 now, right? And I, I know it's a different game than it has been. Say, if you look at the 90s when players get into their 30s, uh, they may as well be in their 50s. But with nutrition um, being much improved pretty much across all sports and a greater understanding of um, like the, the physical science and the sports science, players are playing for longer, they're staying healthier for longer. And, you know, but we, Djokovic is still 33 and the men's game is way more brutal on the body. I think than the women's game where women can tend to play perhaps a couple years longer, just because it's a slightly slower game. So it's not as brutal on say your knees and your hips. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how much longer Djokovic can, can reign at the top, but uh, you know, I, I don't think that he's showing too many signs of slowing down. So we'll, we'll see.
0: And uh, just to talk about the women's side as well, uh, the the name of the there's a it's a lot longer list of people who've withdrawn. So I'm not going to be able to hit everyone. I didn't hit everyone on the men's side, uh, but we've got uh, Bianca Andreescu, Ashley Barty, Kiki Bertens, Simona Halep, Svetlana Kuznetsova, Anastasia Pavluchinkova I should have made Travis do all these names. Samantha Stosur. Yeah, would trash. <laughs> Carlos Suarez, Navarro, uh, you know, a list of names w- that I think are m- more familiar to people who followed women's tennis. I think uh, probably Simona Halep and Ashley Barty are the two biggest that are not going to be there.
1: Right, and Andriscu withdrawing is huge.
0: I, yes. I'm trying to remember – I. She was the one who won last year.
1: Yeah, so so it's I mean you you look at kind of who who's going to be there, right? It's basically Serena Williams and then a bunch of players that aren't really they haven't really have a huge list of accomplishments. So one of the things about the women's game, I think, especially in the last two years, is you have a lot of players who surprise, have a deep run to the corners, semis, sometimes into the finals. And they're a bit unheralded. Maybe they've won a few of the smaller tournaments on the tour. But, you know, I think that the the U.S. Open's women's draw has been just completely gutted. And it's uh, in hindsight, it's a shame to see because you obviously want to see the best of the best playing, but. You know, it can't be helped considering the circumstance. So.
0: Um, So I would definitely say Serena. I mean, she's been the biggest name in women's tennis for 20 years or so at this point. Obviously, I think that it would be easy to call her the front runner. I'm curious, though, if we would say that it's her tournament to lose like we did with Djokovic just because – she hadn't won a major after having her baby. And I mean, in general, is it going to just be different to get back out there? Um, Personally, I think I would actually probably take the field over Serena this time. And if I had to pick a name, I'd pick uh, Naomi Osaka to be able to, go out i mean she beat serena at the u.s open last year and i think that she is an up-and-comer in women's tennis uh sean and travis do you have any disagreements or agreements with any of that
1: asaka fell off the planet after 20 like after her 2019 win and it's it's so common to see in women's tennis right i think a little bit more common than you see in men's tennis and that's at least for the last 20 years. And that's just because there are three players that we've talked about uh, a little bit earlier uh, named Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic who have kind of prevented any other names from really having uh, a significant impact on the men's game. Uh, I mean, Osaka came and caught the tennis world by storm and then she kind of fell off after she got number one. I mean, she's, I think she's like ninth or 10th in the world right now. So it's not like she's been completely abysmal but in the grand scheme of things, she really hasn't challenged too much. I'm really hoping that with a reduced field, um, with Andreescu gone, with, you know, with Halep gone, that she's able to have a deeper run. And I would put her as a favorite should she go up against Williams, to be honest. So I'm, I'm in agreeance with you there. I'm really hoping that she can make this her tournament to lose and kind of recapture some of that confidence that she's definitely lost since the beginning of last year.
0: Travis, do you want to tack anything on or are you going to
1: I mean,
2: I was actually kind of just sitting back and listening because you guys had pretty much everything I wanted to say covered. Um, <laughs> you know, I I actually was going to bring up the fact that Osaka has has kind of dropped off after her after her climb to number 1. Um, but I mean, I'd have to agree with Sean. I, I would love to see her step back in and, and, and kind of make a power move. As for I don't, I don't know if I agree with the making her a favorite over Williams, um, just because uh, it, she's Williams. <laughs> and so, um, but I would like to see a a, a a resurgence, if you if you will.
0: I mean, Williams is not to the point yet where we are with Tiger, where you're like, uh Tiger hasn't won anything for a while. Before like the Masters last year, I was going to say he, he just said, won the Masters.
1: It, but it's, hasn't it hasn't won since since the beginning of 2017. I know and she's she's made four finals since then, and has lost in each one. Um, you know she, I don't know. It's 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 strange, right? Because I mean I agree with you to a certain extent, Travis. I mean you, kn- it's hard to count a Williams sister out, but she's 30. Hate. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. And she hasn't like I don't know. I, I feel like if there's any tournament, right, the US Open is going to be her best chance to to make a, a final statement on her place in the game. And her place in I would say in the in the modern game. Mm-hmm. Showing that she can still win after such a long period of non-dominance considering you know how incredibly dominant she was from 2012 to 2016 but I, I don't I don't think this is it I don't think she wins another Grand Slam before she calls it a career
2: but but my question being to that statement of uh, this could be her last chance would it be diminished because of the things with COVID-19
1: i I mean, that's a tough question to answer just in uh, across all sports, right? Because, I mean, you look at Bayern Munich's Champions League win, and, I mean, I mentioned on 300 seconds that, hey, you know, they they didn't lose a game, but they also didn't play away legs, you know, in the quarters or the semis. And, you know, they they're playing against clubs that had various layoff periods and – players at various points of, of, recuperation. I mean, I think you look at any sport that's being played in 2020 and you have to say, well, you know, congratulations, you won. How much is that worth in the grand scheme of comparing to prior years? We're going to say the same thing about, you know, the NBA championship, I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, NHL is impacted. And, you know, of course who cares about baseball right now, in regards to what they're doing, it's going to be such the wonkiest season that Mm -hmm. I think they're going to look at it the same way that they looked at the, the, the strike um, back in 93 in that season. So it's, it's really tough. Um, Even if Williams wins it, it's like a congratulations. You beat, you know, a bunch of players that you otherwise, you know, the field wasn't as thin maybe you don't win. Right. But, but I don't think in the grand scheme of her, of her career, that pundits and fans are going to be like, you know what? Yeah, that one's tainted. It's just going to be another number that she's adding, right? For, yeah. for, the, for the women's grades, even the men's grades, you know, it's just another number that gets added.
0: Agreed. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears. Uh, we're going to talk about some college football with America's Brightest Orange, like I said. Uh, for those of you who may not follow America's Brightest Orange, we are talking about the Pokes, the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and uh, the way we did it is the same way we did for some of the other ones. If you've caught them on previous episodes, one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, tight end, flex, and a kicker, because it doesn't make sense to pick a team defense when it's all of your team defense, you'd kind of just have to pick a year.
1: And why would so you that pick their I could defense have, anyway? I could have <laughs> picked
0: – if you had asked
2: me, I have a, um, I have a person for every major – position on defense and could have given you that for individual defensive
0: players. And I think my team would have been pretty solid. That being said, uh, I think we're going to start with what I feel like is a, a fairly slam dunk option here at quarterback. It is Mason Rudolph. He is the Oklahoma state career leader in yards. He has the highest single season in yards and the single game record for yards and career touchdown record at Oklahoma state. There's not really people – I mean, you could say Whedon could be in the discussion, but I I feel like it's much more Rudolph. Um, Was it a close pick for you, or did you think that it was kind of –
2: It it was a close pick, to be completely honest. I mean, I was at OSU when Whedon played, so I have a a little bit of a bias there. However, uh, when it came down to it, what really – Sold me on Mason Rudolph was the players around him. The team that Brandon Whedon played with was one of the most prolific offenses that OSU's ever seen. With literally a weapon every three steps, you had players like Josh Cooper, Tracy Moore, um, you know, Blackman, uh, Kendall Hunter. I think played with him for a little bit, and, and so he just he had just weapons everywhere. So. What boiled down to was I feel like Mason Rudolph did as much, if
0: more, with less talent around him absolutely uh, Sean, why don 't you tell us the running backs that uh, Travis selected
1: so the surprise picks here I, I was actually taken aback by it um, a a Barry Sanders and Get a Thurman Thomas. Uh, so those are some, some strange picks. Uh, tell me, tell me, first of all, who's, who's Barry Sanders?
2: A player that was, uh, one of the best of all time. Um, you know, someone that Tennessee would never be able to get. Um, so, you know, I understand you not knowing who he is because that level of talent is hard to comprehend for someone from, you know, you know, the school that you root for, we won't even say the name. Ouch. I mean, these – I mean, Caleb called my quarterback pick a slam dunk. I feel like these were easily the slam dunk.
1: No, I mean, they're, they're, they're easily the two <laughs> two best – I mean – I mean, they're the two best running backs that have ever touched who, the field. Who, who else do you pick? Like, you can't – I mean, there's nobody, I think, I did, even in the conversation. I had a couple of
2: my friends, you know, throw out, you know, the, the Chuba Hubbard or the, the Justice Hill, but they just – not no. from that first point. <laughs> you know, a lot of the arguments, you know, the, the first one, we're not even going to talk about him because there's no need to talk about Barry Sanders. The man is a god amongst OSU fans. Um, the Thurman Thomas people, you know, question, it, was he really that good? Was it, you know, you know, is he that second tier? I mean, those two guys played on the same team. <laughs>
1: like, Which is crazy.
2: That is, yeah, that is the most terrifying backfield I've ever imagined. Um, but, I mean, it's Thurman Thomas, dude. I mean, if he didn't play behind Barry Sanders, he would be in talks of being the next Barry Sanders or as good. Um,
0: I almost think Thurman Thomas playing with Barry Sanders actually hurt his overall ranking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that being said, to go over to wide receiver, uh, a l- maybe I was a little bit surprised. Uh, you went with the players that did – fairly well uh, at Oklahoma state became first round picks and Des Bryant and Justin Blackman. Um, personally, I just, and maybe it's the era. Uh, I was, a, I liked Rashawn Woods a lot. Uh, I mean, I love Rashawn Woods. He's a great guy, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you didn't pick him even I though he's got, the most receptions, second most career receiving yards, and the most receiving touchdowns in Oklahoma state history. I,
2: and, and I, and I get that. I do. And, and Rashawn Woods was definitely on my, my thought process. He was actually my debate between uh, him and Blackman, but what kind of played it up was it was very hard for me to look at it from just a college perspective, you know, if Blackman hadn't, you know, been a moron, he could have had a very solid NFL career, Des Bryant, obvious career. Um, and just because, you know, Justin Blackman's the highest ranked OSU athlete to be, like highest rate draft rank ever besides Barry Sanders. Like that's, that's gotta mean something. <laughs> like the dude was drafted fifth overall and, 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 just their careers, and, and I personally think we, we, I and we are living in the golden age of OSU football. You know, Caleb and I had a conversation about it just the other day. All of these players, besides Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas, are from decently recent times.
1: Imagine living in the golden era of your chosen football team and still Don't worry. never winning anything. Don't worry. Tennessee will have one one day. Oh, Oh yeah, one yeah. Year. We haven't we haven't had we haven't had any any glory days.
2: Well, when you guys finally decide on a coach, yeah, sure.
1: We have a coach. Is he? Or are you living? Are you living in two years ago? Like we we, we yes, have because one. there
2: was no COVID nineteen back then. It we, was a much better one. time.
1: I'm I'm also I also think that Rashawn Woods was a glaring omission. I mean, I get that. Um, you know, I, I I get the pro accomplishments. At the same at the same time. It's hard leaving out a player who is your all-time record holder in, you know, so many different categories. Uh, I'm also, I'm also saddened because I actually, so no, no, no so uh, the, the Woods brothers and the Woods family, uh, a, like their, um. I want to say it's like a it's like a cousin or it was like a like an uncle or something actually worked at the shop that my father managed here in Oklahoma City for quite some time and you know it was always uh it was always a big like personal thing for us to go and and, and root for them at least to, to have some success so you left them out and so you did and you did him dirty Did him and dirty. then
2: and while I I I completely understand where you guys are coming from. Another one that came up was Hart, uh, Hartley Dykes. Um, He was another one that I had a hard, hard debate on. Um, and I mean, in, in reality, I, I definitely probably should have put Rashawn Woods on there, but just, uh, and I it probably is my, you know, just my own personal ties to them. It was very hard for me to get past those two. And I mean, I even did research with some friends of mine, and, and those are the two that names that came out the most. Um, Rashawn Woods was mentioned, but again, I just—it's hard for me not to um, put those two in there.
0: Absolutely. If I
2: if I had another option, um, I would have probably put a, at least Rashawn Woods in there. I I almost felt I almost put him in as. I know we haven't gotten there yet, but I almost put him in as a flex. Um, But I almost felt like that was an insult to him.
0: So just to go through the rest of the roster here, we've got Brandon Pettigrew at tight end. I don't know that there's a a bunch of a debate there. Usually people have had an elite tight end where it's like, oh, yeah, check that. Okay, we're good. Check that Uh, box. uh, Dan Bailey. Clearly, he was great at Oklahoma State. He ended up being good for the Dallas Cowboys as well, and now he's on. And his now they're the Vikings. And <laughs> gonna extend that leg longer what, by what, kicking indoors.
1: What a terrible career trajectory, poor guy. No,
0: and uh, but at Flex, you you went with a, a different bullet to cough winner. You went with the current Pittsburgh Steeler James Washington. Uh, He is the career leader in receiving yards at Oklahoma State, and he is third behind Rashawn Woods and Justin Blackman at receiving touchdowns. It's At some point, it's one of those things where I think what you said before probably summarizes this best, Travis. Basically, Oklahoma State has had – I'm going to use the term an embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position in – the last 15 years, especially
2: mm-hmm.
0: you went with Des, you went with Justin Blackman, you went with James Washington. It's a very current roster. Like you said, if you're picking people who've been on some of the best teams in Oklahoma state history, you have them. I mean, right. it's sometimes a little bit easier to look back and be like, Hey, do you remember when we won, you know, nine, 10 games with this guy versus this guy was wonderful, but we won like five games with him. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's an unfortunate slight in general that winning makes you look a lot better than losing. Yeah. And then I, and that may
2: be the thing. Another thing that was brought up to my attention um, by a fan of ours uh, was Rashawn Woods. When he played um, what was around him, you know, was he the only option? That's why it was really hard for me to even put James Washington into the list because he didn't have a whole lot of weapons around him. He was the go-to guy. So, of course, he's going to have the bulk of the touchdowns. You know, players like Blackman, for example. Blackman had talent surrounding him, and he still is second in touchdowns and third in yards.
1: If anything, wouldn't that make the accomplishments of those who didn't have the weapons around him all that much better? right? Because you I mean you're having players who are getting double teamed. It's
2: the game was different in 2000 uh, to 2004. So while I can see your point, absolutely. Um, yes and no, I guess you would say um, good players are going to be good players. Um, they're going to get their yards. They're going to get their, their touchdowns. Um, but when you don't have the ability to spread the ball, and you have a quarterback that can throw it to you. Um, I, I, I don't know. It just it just kind of – that was just one of the things that was brought up to me. And while I agree with you guys totally, um, those are just the, the two that stood out to me as the most prolific. I mean, Blackman, obviously, hands down, one of the most prolific. And then Des Bryant, just his sheer physicality
1: comparatively. That's fair enough.
0: And that's where we're wrapping up on uh, this Oklahoma State segment. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. All right. And now we're going to move into some NBA. Of course, last week, Sean and I picked the Rockets to win the series over the Thunder. And now that his series has definitely had some ebbs and flows the last few days, as we are now through game four. And I'm going to pass it to Travis to give us an update on the series and ask us a a couple of questions. Well, um, the the series now is tied at two uh, two two,
2: uh, with the Thunder winning the last two. So we kind of just traded off two losses, two wins. Um, Game two, uh, the Rockets ended up winning one eleven to ninety eight, while Game three, the Thunder won in overtime one nineteen to one zero seven, and Game four was 117 to 114. Um, game, game two was the, very similar to game one. Uh, one team clearly had the advantage and they were holding, holding strong onto it. Game, game three and game four were both tightly knit, um, except for overtime in game three, when the Thunder turned into a completely different team, it seemed, and just put the Rockets to shame. Um, I do find it hilarious that there's at Rockets versus Rockets, like there's home and away teams because they're all in the same stadium um, with no fans. But uh, tonight at 530 Central Time is Game 5, and I, I personally am taking the Thunder. Um, Caleb calls me a homer for it. Sue me. Um, I just think right now the momentum is in the, the Thunder's hands, and I think team, the players are starting to play um, more cohesively together uh, with players jumping out like uh, Schroeder and and my new favorite player, Lou Dort. Uh, shout out, Lou Dort, my man. Um, but something I wanted to bring up is the obvious you know, elephant in the room when it comes to Russell Westbrook being one on the opposite team of the Thunder after so many years with the Thunder and being in the stadium and on the court um, in street clothes, do you guys think that is hindering the Thunder? Is it like a, a distraction, or do you think him not being on the court is actually kind of giving them the momentum to get past the rest of that offensive powerhouse that is Houston?
1: So I think that the the big glaring thing here, right, is not necessarily what Westbrook brings to the court, but what his presence or his lack of presence has done – to the rest of the Rockets. Harden looks beat. He looks completely and utterly exhausted out there. He is having to bear the weight of this entire series. And, you know, I I think when we did the preview, I kind of hinted that the Rockets are going to live and die by how Harden does. And that... You know, if he goes cold, that do they really have anybody else that's going to that they're going to trust with the ball? And it's it's tough. I, I actually still think this is a rocket series to lose. These games were close, right? And then you look at the game the Thunder won in overtime, and it was you know like, hard and fouled out. Like I, I I'm sure they miss Russ. I mean 100% I think that if Russ was out there, this series would have a different dynamic, a different shape and you know the there'd definitely be some animosity and I think a little bit I don't know, some light hostility between the two sides. But you know, I think that his absence is putting so much pressure on Harden right now that that's the the glaring like obvious thing from from watching. What do you think, Caleb?
0: I think that Anytime you are missing one of your better players, it's going to change the dynamic of the series. Um, Clearly, you have James Harden. He's an electric driving shooter, you know, distributor. He does a lot of things with the ball. The thing that happens when you have Russell Westbrook on the floor is you have two. Now, you could also say that that might open them up a bit, to be a bit of a defensive liability as well. But at the same time, Russell Westbrook's defense had gotten better this year. And it's just, it is really tough to look at this roster and kind of look at that cast of characters that are around that one, two punch that they have because you see people like Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, uh, Ben McLemore, Jeff Green, Robert Covington, PJ Tucker, like, it's, it's not a list of names of people that you're like, oh, I'm worried that guy's going to go out and put up 20. Like, you're just, yeah, okay. Yeah, and to, to shut down James Harden. And, but if you can put Harden and Westbrook on the floor in those closing minutes, I think it, it changes everything. And, it, and I'm going to say that it probably would at least change a game for the Rockets. And I also think that there's a potential that Westbrook kind of did what he sometimes did in games where he might have a game where he just completely blows it late in the clutch minutes. And you're like, come on, Russ. I feel like we had so many of those times when he played here in Oklahoma city and the fans would be like, you know, I don't know why Russell had that turnover with two minutes left in the game when we really needed it. We, you know, we needed." the points to you know, keep the lead take the lead whatever mm-hmm. he's he's not the i'm trying to struggle to find the word here but he's not the the brain of the game russ is an athlete and right now you look at that court and the athletes just aren't the same as russ
2: and uh, and i agree um another thing that kind of jumps out to me is is um, a lot of people don't realize that if you were to give the Thunder a quote unquote rival team, um, you would have to include the Rockets in that conversation. There's been history there previously with you know the whole Patrick Beverly situation and we are constantly battling back and forth as like the, the young hotshots who, you know, can score a ton of points, um but weren't you know, weren't competing with Golden State, basically. Uh, you know, we've we that's how we've been, and so Russ going to that that quote unquote rival team, um, I think, adds to the animosity and adds to the kind of the drama of the situation. Um, as we all, I mean, we have probably all seen the highlights. It looks like Steven Adams and Russell Westbrook kind of had a jawing match, you know, uh, back and forth, and, and I mean, that's just who. Those two are, they kind of always have battled back and forth with each other, even when they were on the same team. So I, I think there is a, a distraction factor, um, but also a motivational factor of, look, we don't actually need you to do this. We're a more rounded team now. Um, we're, we're able to still put up the numbers we used to with you on our team, and we would love to be the ones to take you out in the
0: first round even if you aren't playing. That's fair. I can see that. Uh, That being said, I do want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Brody Sports Talk. Again, my name's Caleb, joined by Sean and Travis, and uh, y'all have a great rest of your day.
1: Later. Woo!